Okay, good morning, everybody. Today, Mr. Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Samach Dalad in Maseches Ksubas. We almost kept up, Andrew. Welcome back, Andrew. Andrew, those two footprints in the sands in San Diego, those were your own footprints because we were lost without you. There you are. Okay, five lines up from the bottom of Samach Gimel of Bay is not too bad. Kalsaydu of Zvid. We were talking about the rebellious woman. Andrew's uh, mother-in-law was not a rebellious caliber Hashem, and they just celebrated their 70th anniversary. They should continue in good health uh, for many, many years. Okay, so anyway, Rav Zvid had a daughter-in-law, and she rebelled. That's sad. Uh, you know, we talked yesterday about what the definition of that is. We'll touch on it again today. And So she seized, started seizing clothing. Okay, so when you're seizing clothing, this is already uh, controversy. We'll, we'll talk about the Mishnah today. What are the responsibilities? Fascinating Mishnah on Ahmed Bey's, I think it is, of, um, where we're talking about what are the responsibilities that a husband has to the wife. So, it, by the way, if they're living together, so then they kind of share the same standard of living. Um, but the Mishnah will isolate the variables and say, what if, you know, they have one of these parallel lives, like one of them lives in the White House and the other one lives in New York or something like that? What is the standard of living that's the minimum uh, with which he has to support her? Okay. Um, but be that as it may, the ksuba incl- includes share, ksus, ona, right, clothing, f- uh, uh, food support, obviously, and lodging, room and board, and so the question becomes, what is the status of the clothing? Does she get to keep it in, in the case of severance, or does she not get to keep it? That becomes the controversy here. Okay. So anyway, this particular rebellious woman started grabbing her clothes. Yosef Abay were Mazutra So the rabbis were sitting together, and that was a Bezdin adjudicating the case. Yosef of Gamda Gabayu, of Gamda was sitting next to them, and Yosef Kamri, they were saying the following Marda, you see the clothes, Blaosea Kayamin. So, see, this was the issue. This is the controversial issue. Whether a woman who was a Moredes, rebellious, forfeited her clothing. That's something that we wouldn't have expected, right? Like, you have to leave your clothes here if, if, we're go- if you're going to be, right, so to speak, thrown out of the house. Um, we're talking now about the clothing that were written into her ksuba. Um, and we're now, and now, right, she is, still has them, right? They're still there, the, clo- the clothing that were in into the ksuba. The question is, does she get to keep them in the case of Moretas? That was the question, okay. So Amr Lehu of Gamda, so Rav Gamda overhears the three Dayan I'm talking about it, and he says, Mishum Rav Zvid, In other words, he thought like this. This is Rav Zvid's rebellious daughter-in-law, right? And so the Bezdin paskind that she doesn't get to keep the clothing. So Rav Gamda sort of accused them of possibly um, adjudicating as such because it was Rav Zvid's daughter-in-law. And if, in fact, she doesn't keep, get to keep the clothing, it is Rav Zvid and his estate that gets to keep the clothing. So he, it's quite an accusation, right? We just learned. Here, they're saying that, right, Rav Gamda is accusing these great gedolim uh, of uh, the Bezden of favoring Rav Zvid because he was one of the, right, local Orthodox rabbis um, that they respected, and for that reason, he thought that they were actually poskening that he could keep, right, that his daughter and his rebellious daughter in law's clothing. Because, after all, 
In other words, what happened in this Bezdin is they definitively ruled that, uh, that the daughter-in-law does not get to keep the clothing. However, Rav Kahana had already stated that this was something that Rav himself was not sure about. So how could you adjudicate definitively if Rav was not sure what the halacha was? If, so that's what made Rav Gamda think that maybe they adjudicated so definitively out of deference to Rav Zvid, which is not what you're supposed to do, Andrew. You're not supposed to give right deference to anyone. You're supposed to adjudicate the case based on the case itself. Okay, that's one version of the story. Ikeda Amri, another version of the story is Yosrivika Amri. They were all sitting and saying, that in fact she gets to keep the clothes. Aha, that the rebellious woman gets to keep this. So Amal of Gamda, and in that version of the story of Gamda said to them, as we arrive at Samachal and Aleph, Mishum Der Zvid Gavarabahu, the opposite, that because Rav Zvid is such a tzaddik, right, a great man and a tzaddik and a humble man, so you know that he's not going to argue, so is it for that reason that you just ruled against him, right, and turned the din over against him, right, and gave the call of the clothing because you knew that he would be mevater, that he would forgive it? And again, the question of Gamda was the same, namely, why did you rule definitively one way or the other, Right in this version as well, when Rav himself was uncertain as to what the halacha would be. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. The, the gedolim in, the, in their humility sometimes can be mevater. Remember Barry when uh, when you always used to be the color war captain of the losing team because they knew that you could take it. Right, that's what they do in camp. They give all the sore losers. Uh, they make on one team and they and they let them win. Um, anyways. So, hush, so, so here, right, they know that the tzaddikim are going to be okay with it. So anyway, the Gemara says, so the question now at, at hand is, Rava wasn't sure what the halacha would be with this clothing of the, of the rebellious woman. So how could we pasca definitively? Says the Gemara, hush, right, now that the halacha, now that we not, don't know what the halacha is, here's what the halacha is going to be. We're going to say it like this, tafsalam afkinamina. Sounds like Shnaim Ochzin Betalas over here. That it's whoever's the Mukzak. If she if she grabs the clothes and takes it, we don't take it away from her, right? Like Hamotzi Mechaver Olav or something like that, right? That when somebody has to extract it, in other words, we're not going to extract it from her, and therefore it's going to depend on who's holding it. So if she grabs the clothes, it's hers. We're not going to take it away. Lo Safsa Lo Yavinan and right by the same token, if she does not grab the clothing, we're not going to offer it to her. First of all, this whole thing of it depends on who's holding on to it. Uh, yeah, Rabari it's a great Dafyomi master, will point out, is this a typical, like, Shnaim Ochlin Betalis situation? Like a typical, right, Dine uh, Mamono situation where we're adjudicating a financial case and it's like, um, I, I don't know these phrases. What is it that possession is nine-tenths of the law? Something like that, right? This idea that it's whoever's the Mukhzak. Uh, we're not going to extract, or is this unique to this rebellious woman? Okay, I think that's a machlokas uh, in the Mepharshim, but be that as it may, that is the halacha in this case. Meanwhile, this in additional shtickle over here that we're going to say now, it's a little bit of a non sequitur. We don't know how it's related to what we said before. Three-way machlokas and rishonim as to what it means. We'll go with Rashi as follows. The, it says over here, Yarche shata agita, and we make her wait 12 months, before giving her the get. And during those 12 months, she doesn't, she doesn't get entitled to support from her husband. 
Okay, so waiting 12 months for the get, Rashi says, sounds like that we're trying to... Sounds like we're trying to negotiate some reconciliation. Like, let her cool her jets for 12 months. Now, how is she going to cool her jets if we're not supporting her? That's problematic. So that, that probably is what prompts the other Rishonim to say that it's some sort of punishment. It's unclear what this 12-month rule is and where it come from and what it's about with the rebellious woman. 12 months where you don't get a get, but you also don't get supported? That doesn't sound great. It sounds like a punishment. So maybe that's what it is. Rashi makes it sound like, Maybe there'll be some sort of re, re, uh, reconciliation. So whatever the source of that, uh, of that practice was, that's tacked on over here. Okay. Fine. So now we're seven lines down on Samachdala Amad Aleph, and we have the following halacha. Amar of Tuvi Bar Kisna Mishmul, Kosvani Geras Merit Alarusa. Fascinating thing. That when it comes to this rebellious woman, we have something called an Igeras Mered. Igeras Mered is like Pashkevilin, as they call it in Israel. You, you write a letter for everybody to see that she was rebellious. This is something that's going to be on our permanent record on the Shidduch Rezim Andrew. Okay? So the fascinating thing here is Igeras Mered Alarusa. This was the Allah of Shmuel that when it comes to, and I'll explain it like this, that let's say you had a woman who was Arusa, Mikudeshas, right? First stage of marriage, but she refused Nisuin. Okay, so she refuses Nisuin. The chasan is like left at the altar, so to speak. So what is he supposed to do? So in that particular case, we're going to say, here, this woman, just in case you know, because everybody knew we were engaged, everybody knew there was Kiddushin, I had a broken engagement, says the chasan. I am writing a letter saying, she left me at the altar, she... There was something up with her, and so everybody should know what the deal is. So she gets, like, uh, on a permanent record that she did that, and so everybody has clarity. That is a punishment, and we punish her, right, in, this, in the case of Arison, because we expect her, if she had Arison, to get married to him and to follow through with Nisun. However, the din of Shmuel is that we don't write such a letter on her permanent record in, on a Shomeris Yavam, in other words, it is, right, it is a negative, it is considered a demerit on your permanent record if you're an Arusa that doesn't want to follow through with Nisun. But if you're a Shemeris Yavam, Rachman al-Itzlan, where there is a chazan who died childless and now you have to marry his brother, she can refuse. Now, that would make sense that she could refuse because she could ask for chalitza in theory, right? That might be the answer. As we will see, there's going to be, very, uh, um, there's going to be various versions of what we are understanding Shmuel to mean. Um, but on the surface, it looks like we give her the merits for not following through with Nisuin, but not for not following through with the Yibum. We're, we're going we're gonna to toss this around a little bit. That was the halacha of Shmuel. So the Gemara says, Meisve. We quote from the Brisa yesterday when Andrew was in San Diego. Uh, there was a Brisa where, where we said, Achasli Arusa Nasua, that all of these rebellious women get the same halacha. The same punishment. And it doesn't matter whether it's an Arusa or Nesua. That's what Achasli means. It means it's all the same case for me. It doesn't matter whether it's Arusa, Nesua, Afilunida, Afilachola, Afilashimeris Yabam. If you take all of these cases, as we discussed yesterday, we'll get the same demerit. As we said yesterday, this was talking with respect to what? Uh, this is assuming that the rebellion had to do with Tashmashamita. In other words, as we said yesterday, this has to do with Pas Bisalo. What do I mean? As follows. That 
if a man, let's say, the wife can't, can't follow through any soon because it would be a chupas nida. She's a nida right now. And so you're saying, well, and she refuses tashmish. So you say, what do you mean? She's refusing tashmish. You can't have tashmish anyway. She's a nida. So why would that be a rebellion? So the answer is, because if he knows that once she's no longer a nida, she's going to come back to him, so then he, he's calmed down, right? He knows. He has that pospisalo feeling of security of, yeah, this is eventually coming down the road. As opposed to if she's already rebelling now, then it, then, and she tells him that he, she's not going to come back to him, so then whether she can be with him now or, now or not is irrelevant. The point is that he already has the anxiety for the, over the fact that she's not going to come back to him after she's no longer Nida. So what's the kasha? The kasha is as follows. It makes it sound like both the Shomeris Yabam and the Arusa are a cause of rebellion. Because after all, the Bryce has said explicitly, Vafilu Shomeris Yabam Barry. All of these women are supposed to be considered a rebellion. So why are we writing a letter of rebellion, so to speak, on the permanent record of the Arusa and not writing a letter of rebellion on the Shomeris Yabam? They're both considered rebellious. That's the kasha from the Brisa. Says the Gemara, lo kasha. Kan shetava hu, kan shetava he. A double standard. The case of the Brisa is where what? You had a Yavam, and he's demanding that the Yavama come, and she refuses, so that's what the Brisa means. The Brisa means that when the, so to speak, the male is demanding, so to speak, that either his kala, the, uh, the Arusa, or his shemesh Yavam, follow through with either Nisun or Yibum, they're all treated the same. If she refuses to do so, she's considered a rebellious woman, she's going to get that letter of rebellion on her permanent record. However, when Shetava, he, let's say the Yavama, right? Sometimes the Chassan leaves the Kala at the altar. Oh, so an Arusa and a Yavama, that's what the Gemara wants to say now. That if a girl is engaged to be married and she shows up to the Badekin and then the Chassan doesn't show up, He's going to get a letter of demerit on his record. The chassan will. You're not allowed to be a chassan that already did Arison and not follow through any soon. You're going to get a letter of demerit, of rebellion. As opposed to, right, <clears throat> if, she, if he doesn't show up for Yibum, right, then, then it, at that point we're not writing a letter. Kancha tava he, right? In other words, like this. Uh, he refuses, right, as a Yavam, and there we're not going to write a letter of demerit, which is to say he's, he's okay with doing Chalitza, that's important, right? He's okay with doing Chalitza, but he's not okay with doing Yibum. He doesn't want to follow through the Yibum, and that's all it means. It means that he, we're allowing him to do Chalitza instead of the Yibum. As the Gemara continues to say, the Amar of Tachlifa Bar Bimiomer Shmuel, right, in, in the name of Shmuel, Tavahu Nizkakin Lo. Tavahi ein la. This is a double standard, right? That the Yavam, with respect to the Yavam in particular, if he demands that the Yavama will, will avail herself to him, then we, Nizkakin la means that we basically follow through on his behalf, right? The Bezdin follows through on his behalf, and we do force the Yavama to come, right? Whereas Tavahi ein la. However, if she as a Yavama demands that he comes, then we do not uh, come to her aid and we do not force the Yavim to do Yivim, he could do Chalitza, right? So in other words, if he refuses, right, then the Yavama, um, and as the Rashi points out, by the way, 
What's a nishkakin la in that case where she demands that he comes? Lichtav la igeres merid lahosif al ksuvasa. In other words, says Rashi, the last wide line on top over here. We're not going to give her an extra ksuva, and then the Rashi points out. Mafkada is like Mitsuva, in other words. This Yavama doesn't have a Chiv of Piri Verivia. And Rashi is saying this is what the Gemara is going to explain soon enough that the reason why we make her follow through on Yibum um, is because, right, is because the, hus- the Yavam has a Chiv of Piri Verivia. And the reason why we don't make the Yavim follow through on Yibam for her is because she does not have a Chiv of Piri Verivia. Now, the truth of the matter is, we'll see, the Gemara is going to actually ask the question already that might be percolating in your mind, which is, they could both really get married to somebody else. They could do Chalitza and still, and still uh, perform the mitzvah of Piri Verivia. Like, this is not the only Piri Verivia opportunity that either of them is going to have, necessarily. So let's see inside in the Gemara how we address this, as follows. Says the Gemara, Wait a minute. So this statement of Shmuel, when he says that we write the, the rebellion letter for the Arusa, not for the Shemeris Yavam, that case was when she is the one that was actually asking the Chasan to pull through? Haikosu Nigeri married Al Ha'arusa. That doesn't seem likely because that wasn't the Lashon. The Lashon of Rav Shmuel's statement was that the Igeris Merit, the rebellion letter, is written all the Arusa on her. That doesn't make any sense. Le Arusa mi bailei. If the, again, because if we're talking about a case where she's the one demanding it, so then where does the letter go? The letter of rebellion goes to him, goes to the Chasan. Uh, and it's about the Chasan. So al Arusa sounds like it's not about the Chasan, like it's about the Kala. If it is in fact true, as you suggest, that it is the case of Tavahi, where we are supporting the Kala uh, in the Shmuel statements, then what we would be doing is writing a letter uh, on him, or at least writing a letter to her, for her, right? It should have said that we're writing a letter for the Arusa, which is to say writing a letter about the Chasan for the Arusa, so that she can have it on a permanent record, so when people say, hey, I heard you had a broken engagement, she has a letter from Bezdin saying, guess what? I was left at the altar. There's nothing wrong with me. And it's about the chasan for the right kala. Okay, that's how that works. So the Gemara says, so, so the Gemara says, why? But, so again, the kasha here is, we just said that the only way it makes sense uh, to reconcile the Brisa and Shmuel is to say that Shmuel is in a case of Tavahi, but however, Shmuel said that we write the Geras Merit about her, so therefore that doesn't seem consistent with the language, and so the Gemara is going to answer by changing the language, what we said in the name of Shmuel as follows. Hello, kasha, tene la arusa. Yeah, the, 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 the um, record of Shmuel's statement should have been that it's given to the arusa about the chasan. Okay. Fine, so now the Gemara, my Yavam Delo. So now we want to ask a question. Why then would be the difference between the Shemeris Yavam, where we don't write, right? If you're going to say that the case is, right, where she's Tava, he, right, so then why is the Shemeris Yavam different than the Arusa, right? Why in the Shemeris Yavam are we not going to write a letter saying that the, right, the would be Yavam did not follow through? Darmin la zil. The reason why we don't write the letter for Shemeres Yavam is because we could say to the woman, Zil, go, you don't have a tzivoy. This is what Rashi was referencing before. You don't have a chiv of Puravu. So go on ahead. 
In other words, we don't write a letter for the Yavam because she has other options. She doesn't have to do Yivam. She could do Chalitza. Um, and and in, any case, in any case, she's not commanded right in the midst of Puravu. She's not commanded to have children. But then the Gemara asks, Arusa Nami, name a Lazil, for an Arusa, she also doesn't have a Chiv. In other words, this is a Kasha. In other words, why would we ever reprimand the Chassan for, for holding up a Kala? After all, the Kala does not have a Mitzvah Puravu. That's the Havamina of the Gemara. The Gemara is assuming that we would only punish a Kala for not showing up to a wedding and not a Chassan because the Chassan is the one that has to do the Mitzvah of having children. Says the Gemara, no, 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 no. El Right, the Amra Beina Chutra meaning like this. Yeah, we still don't think it's a good idea for the husband to not show up to to, to the Chasana, right? Can we skip the little phrase there? You no, know, we say like this. You know, the question is like this. I'll start from from again. Why is it again? The statement of Shmuel was that we reprimand the. Chasan for um, for not showing up to the Nisuin, but we don't recommend the Yavam for not showing up to the Yibum. So what we're asking now is what's the difference between a Shomer Yavam when we don't reprimand the Chasan with, uh, after all, the reasoning why we don't reprimand the Yavam is because we say that she doesn't have a Chiyav Puravu. And the Gemara asks, Arusa Nami, Neymala Zil, Lomi Pagd. For Arusa Nami, Right for the Arusa, we also could say the same thing. That again, just like a woman, a Yavama doesn't have a, a mitzvah of Puravu, so too an Arusa does not have the mitzvah of Puravu. To which the Gemara says, "No, Ella Biva Machmas Taina." The case must be like this: that the issue is not whether the woman has a mitzvah of Puravu. Right, that's not what's determining. That's not what's driving this case. That is not why we are forgiving the Yavam. The reason why. We want, and therefore, again, that's not why we're forgiving the Yavam, and it is therefore also not why we're being Mechayev, the Chasan, right, who is already the, the Arus, that's the, the, right, the Chasan that's about to fall through a Nisuin. The reason why we make the Chasan fall through a Nisuin is Ella Biva'a Machmas Taina, right, because after all, the reason why we're going to rule that, that we're going to write a letter of rebellion on the Chasan's resume is because the Machmas Taina, because she can come with a claim. What is the claim that she can legitimately claim, the Kala? As follows, the Amra, because she could say, I want like a staff for my hand, and a shovel for my Kavura, for my burial. What does this mean? As follows, she is entitled, even though she does not have the mitzvah of Puravu, technically, she's entitled to want children. She wants children to, right, carry her and then bury her in her old age. So another way of saying that even though a woman does not have the mitzvah of Puravu, she's entitled to get married. She's entitled to have children. And it is on that basis that she wants the chasan to follow through. You're my chasan. You have to follow through with Nisuin. And that should apply to Yibum and to Nisuin. As the Gemara continues to say, Hachanami shomeris yavam b'va machmas taina. In other words, the question that we're asking is, why would the halacha be different for the Arusa and the Shemeris Yavam? If you're going to say that the reason the halacha is different is because the Shemeris Yavam has no mitzvah of Puravu, well, the Arusa also doesn't have a mitzvah of Puravu. Okay, well, if you're going to say the reason why the Arusa has a 
legitimate claim to ask the chassan to follow through with Nisuin is because she wants to have children, well, the Yavama also wants to have children. So we're still not uh, fully understanding why the Yavama and the Shomeris Yavam and the Arusa have two different halachas within Shmuel. So it says the Gemara, no, shatavahu. So now we're switching out. We're not saying that this letter of, right, rebellion is a letter against the Hassan. We're back to our original thought, that this is a letter of rebellion against the Kala. And that, in fact, is more consistent with the, la- the language of Shmuel, which is the, when it says that it's Alha Arusa, Velo Kasha. But it's not really that problematic why Shmuel rules that we only write one against the Arusa, not against the Yavama, because, says the Gemara, Khan Lichlots, Bekan Yabing. In other words, in the case where the woman, so now we're back to the case where it's the woman who doesn't want to do Yibum. In the case where the, where the woman doesn't want Yibum, it must be a case where she's saying, you know what, I don't want to do Yibum, but I'll do Chalitza. Well, guess what? She's available, right? If she's, so, so that's the issue. In the Brisa, where it says Shemeris Yavam, it must be where she's totally AWOL. She's not making herself available either to Yibum or to Chalitza. That is a problem indeed, Andrew. But if she's making her available, herself available for Chalitza, as in the case of Shmuel, so then we're not going to be so pedantic about it. We're not going to force her to do Yibum. We'd let her do Chalitza, because as we discussed many times in Mesechus Yivamos, Chalitza might be even more preferable. That's the Mishnah Chrona. Used to be Yibum was more preferable, then Chalitza was more preferable. It's possibly two sides of the same coin. It has the same effect, right? Uh, according to some Shitos. So the point is, when you have the opportunity to do Chalitza, you're not going to have this, and you make yourself available to do so, so we're not going to have this negative letter of rebellion on your permanent record, and that is what Shmuel is referring to. So that's what I mean. Because Rabbi Pidas is the name of the great God on Eretz Rabbi Yochanan, Tava Lachlotz Nizkakinlo. Tava Liyabim Ein Nizkakinlo. Which is to say, when a, when a Yavam, right, comes and he demands either Yavama or Chalitza, then we support that. However, when he demands that a Dafka has to be Yibum, we no longer support that, right? So wait a minute, the Gemara asks, why do we not support the Yibum? We say, Obviously, we're, the reason why we're not going to enforce that the Yavama go to this Yavam and do actual Yibum is because this man can go marry somebody else. Why does he have to marry Dafka the Yavama? So says the Gemara, Lachlots Nami, Nema Le Zil and Sif Isachrisi. Say, wait a minute. Chalitza also, if he doesn't want to, if, if, right, she doesn't want to do Chalitza, the man could always go and marry somebody else. Why were you writing a letter of rebellion on her? So says the Gemara, no, no, no. El Damar came the Agida bi loka Yavulu Achrisi. In the case where he says, we have a Yavama, he's saying, get this Yavama off my Shidduch resume. So long as I'm attached to this Yavama woman, they're not, I'm not going to be able to get married. It's going to look bad in my Shidduch resume. So, Hachanami came Yeah, but the Gemara asks, that can't be a reason. It's an unusual reason. It doesn't seem to make any sense. In other words, I understand for the Chiyav Puravu, you can marry somebody else, but this woman is attached to you, whether it's by Yibum or Bachalitza. The Zika, as we called it, right? The connection in Yibum is a connection regardless. So what are we talking about? Says the Gemara, Ela yabim. So now we're going to concede. You're right. In that regard, there's no difference between Chalitza and Yibum. So it has to be something else. And this, real, this resolution is going to actually be very logical as follows. The case, both in the Brisa 
And in Shmuel, is when the letter of rebellion is written about the woman and it's being given to the chassan so he can produce, he says it wasn't his fault. V'lo kasha. Kan b'mishna rishona. Kan b'mishna achrona. As you might recall, when we talked about in Yavamos, the Mishnah Rishona, in both cases we're talking about Yibum, in the Mishnah Rishona we used to say that Yibum was preferable. Well, if in the case where Yibum was preferable, right, so then we would write a letter of rebellion when the woman was not willing to do Yibum. Aha! That would be our Brisa. However, in the, in the Shmuel statement, where the Arusa not following through any soon is a problem, but the Yavama not following through Yubim is not a problem. He's talking about the Mishnah Achrona because that halacha developed over time. And we ultimately decided, as uh, we're writing over here, as the Gemara continues to explain why, we ultimately decided that because the right Yibum was presumed in later days to be insincere with improper intentions, we decided, you know what, we don't like this as a preferable option anymore. We prefer to do chalitza instead of yibum. And when so doing, we no longer are going to punish a woman for not following through yibum at all. On the contrary, we might encourage her to do chalitza as, as we do. To this very day, we encourage chalitza, at least Ashkenazim encourage chalitza over yibum. And that's what we learned in the Mishnah, right? Because we learned that already in the Mishnah in Bechoros of all places as follows. Right, that's the Mishnah Rishona. It used to be that Yibam was, was, isn't this nice to chaz a little bit of Yivamas? Remember Yivamas, Andrew, that wasn't that fun? Yibam kodemus mitzvah chalitza, right? It used to be preferable to do Yibam. Because then they used to be with full proper intentions. After all, Yibam is definitely an awkward situation. So to do so, right, on your former sister-in-law and to marry her is, is going to require the right Mitzvah Today we don't even have those kinds of kavanas where we could do that for the shame mitzvah purely. So now we say that the mitzvah chalitza is preferable to the mitzvah of Yibam, and it is that time period that Shmuel is referring to, and it is that reason for that reason that even though the husband, right, the Yavam is demanding her to come do Yibam, we tell him, cool your jets, pal. We're not going to write a letter of a rebellion on this woman because after all we agree with her we think that chalitza is preferable anyways not so much with the arusa who doesn't want to fall through any suin she still gets that um, demerit on her resume because everybody has to understand what happened in order to proceed with life okay so now two dots five lines up from the bottom of um, who's in the mood for math we're going to have some arithmetic here the question is the deduction that's the Gemara Remember in the Mishnah we said that there was a machlokas, that the Chachamim said that she, get, we, she gets, if the husband, uh, that, that we add to her ksuba, if the husband is troubling her, we're going to add three dinarm a week. And Rabbi Huda said three trapkaim, trapaikin. So the Gemara asked, my trapaikin. What is trapaikin? So Amar of Sheshas, astira. Okay. A trapik is an astira. So I asked the Gemara, become Astira. That was not helpful. We don't know what an Astira is. Says the Gemara, Palga de Zuzah. Ah, half a Zuz. We know what a Zuz is. A Zuz is like a Dinar. Okay, we know Zuzim we're very familiar with. Thing is, I don't know if you know, but there's two different kinds of Zuzim. There's a Zuz Medina, which was like the local Zuz, which was made like of a composite amalgamation of lesser valuable metals. And there was the Zuz Tzuri, the Tyrian Zuz. Ooh, that was worth a lot more. You know how much more? 
um, it was almost like the way the dollar and the shekel used to be when we first made Aliyah in 2003. Eight times more valuable. Now, Baruch Hashem, we have Joe. They're, the shekel and the dollar are about the same. <laughs> Anyways, but be that as it may, in those days, the Palga de Zuzah, the, the Zuz used to be, uh, right, so, so, so half a Zuz. So what are we talking about? Half a Zuz. Half of a Zuz Tsuri or half of a Zuz uh, uh, Medina? So says Rashi, Astira Sela Medina. Again, a Sela is just four Zuzim. So a Sela Medina, as Rashi is saying, that is the local Zuzim. So a Sela Medina is four Zuz. Okay, right? Because after all, remember, Sela is four Zuz. So Sela Medina is four local Zuz. Uh, as opposed to a Zuz Tsuri, as Rashi says, Palga Zuz, Zuz Tsuri, well, Zuz Tsuri is the Tyrian Zuz. That's eight times. So, so the bottom line is a half of a Zuz Tsuri is the same as a Sela Medina. How do you like that? Right? Because if, if one times eight equals eight, then half of that equals four. Right? So four of the local Zuz is the same as half of the, right, of the Zuz, of the Zuz Tsuri. So that's what's going on here. In other words, right, Astira is a Palga de Zuzah, half of a Zuz Tsuri. In other words, um, it's going to be a Sela Medina. Fine. And similarly, a Brysa, Tanya Nami Hachi, Rabbi Yudah, Omer, Shlosha Trapeikin. So what's going on here? So again, six Ma also equals a Zuz. Um, just to make it more interesting, right? So a half a zuz is going to be three ma. So shlosha trapeikin shehin tesha ma'in. Okay, shlosha trapeikin comes out to nine ma. Why? Because because shehin tesha ma'in ma'avachetzi lechol yom. Because each one again is going to be because a half a zuz. If a, a half a zuz equals three ma, right? Six ma equals a zuz, right? So half a zuz is three ma. Okay. So now you're talking about three ma, it, so, so ma'avachetzi, the call yom, comes out to nine. Why nine? Because there's six work days, as Rashi says. Ma'avachetzi, the yom, le'sheshizimayamaisa. Ah, six work days. Why not Shabbos? Says Rashi, Shabbos lo yavin, and lakid amar lakaman, as we're going to explain. So we're going to explain like this. And the Mishnah also, and the Gemara is going to ask this, the Mishnah um, had a double standard here. The husband would get six, uh, would get, Back, right? Six um, time, six uh, ma. Uh, well, t- actually, ma v'chetzi l'kol yom. So he would actually get shlosha trap ikin, meaning to say he would get a teisha ma. But the wife would actually be deduct. The wife would be deducted that amount, whereas the wife would only get a, a smaller amount. The deduction from the wife's ksuba is greater than the. Uh, stipend that she gets. It's double, in fact, as we saw that in the Mishnah. We're going to discuss that now in the Gemara. The Gemara asks like this. I'm like Rebbe So the first thing we ask is like this. When, when the husband, again, when the wife rebels, we compensate the husband. When the husband rebels, we compensate the wife. But the compensation is not equal. Um, so what, what accounts for this inequality? So the first part of the inequality is that he gets compensated for Shabbos too. She does not get compensated for Shabbos. Why so? Because Shmuel says like this, It's not the reason you think. The reason is like this. I don't know what you were thinking, but the point is like this. That the reason why um, he does not, he gets for Shabbos, she doesn't, is because when she gets, right, deducted, 
you reduce her ksuba. Ah. Now, reduction of ksuba doesn't look like compensation. It's just a reduction of ksuba. So reduction of ksuba you can reduce on Shabbos as well. Right? You can reduce that on Shabbos as well. However, how do you right, compensate the husband in the case of the rebellious wife? The ksuba is increasing now, right? And he gets to keep more. That looks like Schar Shabbos. And because of that, as we turn to Salvador Abbas, we say that Mechzik is Schar Shabbos. That looks like Schar Shabbos. And therefore, if we increase uh, the Ksuba on Shabbos, it looks like he's earning it on Shabbos. And it is for that reason that we don't do it on Shabbos. It looks like he's working on Shabbos. As we almost arrive at the Mishnah at the symbolic time of 613 a.m. So I'm going Yeah, but now we're going to ask the more basic question. What is the difference? Why are we only giving a half a dina or half a trapaik, according to Behuda, for right when the man rebels, whereas the woman has to pay a full trapaik per day? That was what our Mishnah says. What accounts for this double standard, Andrew? As Shmuel said, Oh boy. What's going on here? Yeah. In other words, what are we talking about? As we said, Lamaskana. Rebellion here means rebellion of Tashmish, right? Somebody's withholding Tashmish. They're not. They're, they're, they're refusing to cohabit. Well, this is simple uh, birds and bees, Shmuel is saying. Bottom line is, the man is way more frustrated by this. The woman may not even notice if the husband rebels from Tashmish, but the man certainly will. After all, when you look at the Shuk, the, the shuk Shel Zono, so you look at, right, the, uh, the Zona industry and what drives, right, whatever, marketing and what drives, like, all of this, uh, all of this underworld of degenerates, it's all about the man's desires. And therefore, what? Me, so cares me. Who's the one that's doing now? Of course, you know, if you live in, um, in degenerate times where there's like, a, uh, um, you know, a myriad of like 55 different genders, this could get a little complicated. But, you know, simpler times, it was the men that had the desire, not so, as much the women, and therefore like twice as much at least. So therefore, me, so cares me. It is the men who have the desire. In other words, on the man, he kind of wears it on his sleeve, so to speak, in a manner of speaking, where it's obvious and it's not a good look if he is denied, whereas for her, it's not visible and therefore she is, um, it, for her, she is not compensated as much, which is to say both the answers are basically saying the reason why the husband is getting more compensation for this specific type of rebellion, rebellion of Tashmash Shemitah is because it means a lot more to him. He's getting at least double the amount of tsar as she. Fascinating. So, yeah. Okay, so now we're at the Mishnah on Samach Talim Beis and we say, I love this one. I don't know why. Um, it's, fun, it's funny to me uh, because this is, Baruch Hashem, not the kind of relationship that uh, we're used to. As we said earlier, when the husband and wife live together as one, they're sharing the same lifestyle, right? Uh, that's according to Rashi and according to Shulchan Aruch. This Mishnah applies to, again, the husband, let's say, lives in the White House and the wife lives in, the, uh, in, in a penthouse in Manhattan, where equal opportunity po- politics uh, slamming today. So if that's the case, the... Uh, there is a standard of living that if you want to have that lifestyle and live like parallel lives but not live together, there is a, the Chazal instituted a minimum standard of living that the husband must provide for this woman that he claims to be his wife it, living in that penthouse as follows. So that's what it means. Hamashas ishtoy de shalish. Right? You're basically providing for her. 
right, through a third party. You're not even living together. So, what is the minimum? As follows. Every, every uh, week, he, she has to have at least two coven of wheat. Or four coven of barley. That this stipend of barley, only Rabbi Shmuel, the Gemara will explain why only he's talking about barley. And because he lived near Edom, as we'll explain why that influenced him pointing out the barley, um, the, the, right, the amount of barley stipend that she gets. Be that as it may, he furthermore gives her no son of kidneys. In other words, now we're going to say, what does the pantry of this woman have to look like that the husband's responsible for? So you need to have the, that amount of wheat, the half a cup of beans, half a look of oil, a cup of dry figs, or if you want, don't want to have the dried figs, have the mud of the pressed figs. If he doesn't have any of those figs, she needs to have some fruit. So you give her like that amount of fruit um, from someplace else. So we want to make sure she has oil, fruit, beans. She's good to go. Okay. In addition, so that's the food pantry. In addition, bed, soft mat, and a hard mat for all the reasons you need soft and hard mats for. You need to have the, the tichel, um, or in t- today's day, day and age, the kathy, or whatever they call the shetels. The chagar lemasneha, a belt. You know, you need to have shoes, different amount, uh, shoes for different yantav. So one pair of shoes for each yantav seems like enough. Three pairs of shoes. And clothes, 50 zuz worth of clothes for the year. That's her clothing allowance for the year. That would be ridiculous. You're not going to give her um, thick clothing in the summer or thin clothing in the winter. As we pointed out, the way they used to do it, they didn't used to do uh, summer sales on like winter clothes. The way they used to do it is you'd buy the clothing for the winter and they were nice and thick when first bought. And then they would wear out over time. And so the worn out ones were, had, were much more breathable for the summer. And that was how you wore those seasonal clothing. Same clothing, just different season, depending on how worn out they were. So you don't switch it around. Don't give her those worn out clothing in the summer when they're worn out clothing in the winter when they're super cheap. And the full clothing in the summer where they're cheaper. Give the proper seasonal clothing in the proper time. So that's how you do it. She has the 50 Zuz clothing allowance. So buy the clothing new in the winter when they're thick. And then she wears that all through the summer. And then and then the Gemara will explain once the worn out ones are worn and now she's left, she's down to the Shmatas, she gets to keep the Shmatas. And the Gemara will explain why. Okay, furthermore, right now we're talking about the expense account. She gets her allowance of, of a silver ma, okay, um, a week, per week. Oh, that's nice. She eats with him every Friday night. Rashi spells out Shehu Leil Ona. In other words, <laughs> the husband has to provide Sherek's Ona, right? But they're not, they don't seem like they're that uh, tight, right? She's living, in, she's living in the apartment in Manhattan and he's living in, in, um, in the White House. But Ona is one of his responsibilities. So he, she has to be invited at least Friday nights. Interesting, right? And then, so that's part of his obligations to her. And what about if he doesn't want to give her the allowance of the silver ma for the week? So there, so then she gets to keep her own right private Cayman Island accounts. It's all hers. But what does she have to do for him? 
So now there is reciprocity over here. Like in this parallel marriage, what is she, her obligations to him? So this is when we first see Beferish, we already referred to this a couple of times. The woman does have a minimum amount that she has to uh, per, bring in, and that is Mishkal Chamesh Slime Shesi Yehuda. She has to spin at least five slime of thread. That's in Yehuda. Shein Eser Slime Galil, which is equal to 10 slime in the Galil. We'll see why this is Yehuda and Galil. Be that as made, that's her minimum amount of sewing, so to speak, that she needs to do. Oh, Mishkal Eser Slime Erev Yehuda, or 10, right? The, the weft thread, as it's called, has to be 10 slime in Yehuda, and again, the double in the Galil. Shein Esrim Slime Galil. So all of this is the obligation she has to him. However, there's a scenario where her obligation to him is reduced as follows. She's nursing a baby. We require her to do less. But we actually provide for her more because now she's eating for two, as it were. When is this true? All of these minimum amounts that we just mentioned is when they are, in fact, anim of Mechubad, yeah, but if he has a lot of money, I call it You can't have this woman living on, right, a bushel of barley a week and, and just uh, silver mana. No, no, no. If we're talking about a wealthy man, so then he better be supporting her to the standard of his living. Okay. Now the Gemara asks, Mani Masnisin, whose opinion is our Mishnah? Lo Rabbi Yochanan and Broka, below Rabbi Shimon. It can't be either one. It's none, because we learned in the Mishnah in Erevin Pei Beis. Remember Erevin, Barry? That was really fun. We said at the time, what was the uh, minimum amount of an Erev Tchumen? Remember the Erev Tchumen? We put the Erev in a specific place and then that extends your Tchum? Okay. So you put the challah. What do you have to put there? A meal. Let's see the Mishnah. Kamashirur, what was the measure of this Erev Tchumen? Right, and that enables you to walk past the 2,000 Amat Tchum. So he said, Mazon Shteisu Dosokol Echad Ve'echad. Everybody who's going to be participating in the Erev, you have to put in two Seudos. Mazon Olachol. That means. Food for two weekday meals. V'lo l'shabbos. Not for the Shabbos meals. Divi Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Yehuda Omer l'shabbos v'lo l'chol. Rebbe Yehuda said, so there's a machlok with Meir Rebbe Yehuda whether this meal was supposed to be Shabbos meal or a chol meal. Okay. V'zev v'zev mizkav in the hakel. But both of them were trying to be mekil. How so? Because Rebbe Yehuda Omer Omer kikar, how so? Because again, they wanted to minimize the amount of bread that you need for the tchum. Because really, this tchum is sort of like a legal fiction anyways, right? We're not necessarily going to have to uh, eat it. We're just going to have to have it accessible to eat. Remember we said, like, what if it's in a, in a tree and you have to climb the tree, which you can't do on Shabbos? Fascinating sugyas over there. But the, but, the, but the point is, they were both trying to be makel because on Shabbos, you don't only eat bread. During the week, maybe you'll just have avocado toast, Andrew, because he just came back from San Diego. But on Shabbos, you have a little bit of challah, but then the rest of the time, you should see what Andrew, it's all like these macrobiotic delicacies and delights. It's not so much after the challah, because he's keto, so he's just having a little bit of shear, and it actually requires less challah on Shabbos, which is to say, both of them are trying to minimize the amount that you need for the air. However, what is this? Not objective meals like how much would Andrew eat versus how much Goranowitz versus how much Barry would eat. But a set amount. A set amount. So over here he's saying what? That's a loaf of 12 eggs. And he's suggesting, Rabbi Shimon, however, suggests, right? So this is in fact, right, the amount of bread necessary for, for what? For two-thirds of a loaf which are three to a cup. So this is the math where we'll pick up tomorrow, whether it's five and a third eggs or six eggs. 
the machlokas, who do we hold like when we establish this mimim shir for the, for the uh, parallel wife? How much are we talking about this amount for a meal? Is it according to Shimon or is it Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka? As we'll see, it, we're going to have to reconcile how it's going to be like either of them. So like Shittas for Shimon, we're about two-thirds of the way down on Samach Dal. We will resume tomorrow.